mean, come on, right? I'm so thankful, ladies. Thank y'all so much. Gentlemen, I think they already walked out. They went a little extra um, this morning, and it's been a long weekend. <laughs> you may be hearing my voice, and if I, if I stop moving, somebody can come and just nudge me up here or stop talking. Um, but, but ultimately, they long weekend, and they committed to getting up even extra early because they did like a practice before even the practice this morning. So thank you, Anthony, for help get them here and make all that happen. Um, so good morning, church. <clears throat> I think it's, it's morning for you. I think it's still retainer from yesterday. It's just a leftover from yesterday for me. Um, but we are coming off of um, my favorite weekend uh, for sure. Um, God never ceases to do what he alone can do. Um, and to know that we had a um, hundred more students this year than we did last year. Um, which, yeah, come on, thank you, yes. <clears throat> now, I, I'm careful to boast in a number, because it's not about that number, um, but what that number represents is each individual soul that our Father desperately loves. Um, and He is for that student, um, that one more student that came in. So even up to the, you know, Friday evening, uh, we were still trying to figure out that student. They're like, oh, I didn't know anything about this. Can I come? And they're like, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, come on, we'll figure it out. Um, and so that happened. So I, I can report, before we jump into God's Word together, I can report um, that I know some things about Friday night, but um, I haven't heard from the homes and host homes all yet this morning. Uh, but Friday uh, night alone, there was, there was eight salvation, surrender their lives to Jesus decisions. Amen? <clears throat> and we'll, we'll hear more of that uh, as our prayer um, for uh, what's go what was going on all last night. Uh, when I get back over there uh, between services, um, we have a time where they're going to be able to just kind of share together. And then second service, this room will look significantly different. They're going to all be in here. Um, and I think we have the reserves for the whole middle section right here for him. So it's going to be uh, a beautiful, um, I guess just the visual of all our students here and the church just wrapped around them. Um, and this is what this weekend is really about for us, just to kind of love on the moms and dads um, and help. Um, I saw even Cade, proud dad up here, you know, like filming. Uh, it was awesome. And by the way, our heads are just completely different sizes, bro. This right here. <laughs> I don't know which one's bigger. You guys can decide that. But man. Uh, all right. Um, let's get to work. You guys ready? You feeling good? If you have your Bible, uh, I want you to turn to Luke 15. Luke 15, you probably could have guessed that if you know your Bible a little bit. Um, and I will begin with a story for you guys. I shared this story with our students just the other day, but I, I want to continue to tell this story because um, if there's some counselors in the room, I may need your help afterwards. Um, and you'll, you'll understand why. So when I was a kid, one of the one of the things that I despised the most was, and please, like, if, if you remember this, if it's something that you can recall just despising, um, just kind of chime in with me. I did not like having to try on clothes at the department stores. Anybody know this? Y'all know this feeling? My parents, we would go, like, back to school shopping or something, and my mom was like, you got to try that on. And so I'd have to be like, I don't want to go in that little room and, like, 
and she would have 15 pairs of pants because apparently, you know, kids grow too fast or whatever. She didn't know which one I was wearing. So it's been all day just putting on pants. It was terrible. I hated it. I hated it. There was this one time that this happened, and we're trying on clothes, and it was my brother and I. I have a brother. He's five years older than me, and it was his turn to go first, so I'm, you know, probably being a punk kid and just like, oh, hurry up. And so he goes in and tries on his clothes, and he comes out. It's my turn. All right, so, you know, load me up. I, I walk in, and now I feel certain all right, this is where some of the counselors said, I feel certain that I had been in that room for maybe 10 seconds. Maybe. And because I'd close a door and I'd kind of, you know, figuring out how to put everything down. And, and I look, and behind the door, it was very wet. Very wet. I'm like, that's, that's kind of gross. So I, so I opened the door back up and was like, hey, mom, you might want to, like, come look at this. And we determined that someone had use it as a restroom. Um, and awful, right? Like, who would use a change room as a... Um, and I was like, 10 seconds, y'all. 10 seconds. Just like, remember that. Um, and all signs pointed to my brother. Because <clears throat> he had just left from in that room. And he played the, Mom, I'm old enough to know better. That was your younger son. Um, and I'm like, uh-uh. But who did she believe? She, <laughs> she believed my brother. And so this story is known now as the story of three whoopings. Because <clears throat> my mom whooped me in that store for using it as a restroom. And then she got to thinking about it on the ride home. And I started getting one of these right here. You know, where I'm trying to, you're, like you're a kid in the back and you're trying to dodge the hand that's coming around the seat, right? And so she was trying to whip me like this. I can't believe you did that. I'm like, I didn't do it, Mom. I didn't do it. And then I got home and she told my dad. And my dad whoops me. Years later, years later, we're all sitting at a Christmas breakfast together, married already. And my brother said, hey, y'all remember time when we went to try on clothes, I did that. I'm still clearly a little scarred from this moment from my childhood. And where, so if there's anybody that can help walk me through this and counsel me through it, I, I would have greatly appreciate your help on that. But I tell you a silly story. I just tell you a story because stories are very powerful. Stories have connections. Like you, you have stories too, right? You, we could probably spend, you know, the rest of the day hearing people's Crazy stories, what happens in people's lives. I mean, some of them are great, uh, some of them are terrible, um, but, we, but we get connected. It's why we love movies. Um, we, get, we identify with stories, and Jesus knew that he had created us this way. Right? Jesus knew this because he uses stories for people to learn lessons. And he, his stories were called parables. <clears throat> and so there's, there's two words to, as we jump in, right, right as we... Right before we start reading this, this passage of Scripture, I want to define two words. In Luke 15, we learn, <clears throat> we hear Jesus tell this parable. Um, and if I say the prodigal, the next word there is for you guys, the prodigal what? Son. And so I think we, we may 
rob ourselves of a little bit of what this story holds if we just focus on the one. Now, it's an incredible part of the story, and it's most of the story from the passages of Scripture is this younger son who is wayward, and he's a prodigal. So if I'm going to help define, prodigal is, is having or giving something on a lavish scale, right? Having or giving something on a lavish scale, that's what prodigal means. And so this younger son, we know, he, he, he lived a lavish, he gave lavishly all the inheritance that he had, and we'll, we'll get into that. But, but a parable then is not just a story, it was a story that had some spiritual meaning and application that was going to be attached to it. And so if, if I were to just, you know, know that it, the prodigal son is not Jesus' terms for this passage, it's something that just got coined onto this, I would, I would say that this is the prodigal parable and not just associate it with one because I think we're going to see that, that Jesus is doing more than just telling about a runaway son. All right, so let's, let's get to work on it. <clears throat> Start in verse number 1 and number 2, Luke 15, 1 and 2. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near uh, to him to hear him, and him is Jesus. So Jesus is talking, and now these tax collectors and sinners, they're gathering together. So if you could just visualize this, right? So imagine Jesus sitting, and this group is just coming up and gathering to hear what Jesus is saying, and already present. It says in verse number two is the Pharisees and the scribes. They're over here. So we got, not that you guys are tax collectors and sinners. It's just, you know, this is what I did first. I apologize. Um, and that you guys are Pharisees and scribes. It just, you can identify where you want to be, all right? So tax collectors and sinners are, are over here, um, and they gather, and you got Pharisees and scribes who are over here. All right, so you see the scene. That's very important. Jesus, you know, the, the Bible sets this stage for a very intentional reason. <clears throat> and so this, and this, this group is grumbling and complaining. It says, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now Jesus immediately goes into what, what has to be just this freestyle telling of stories. Like he just starts spitting them out. Starts telling the story of the lost sheep first. That's what's a, uh, what happens first. And it's just a few, few verses and abruptly ends it and starts telling the story of the lost coin, which is probably the least spoken of, um, of the three parables, the lost coin. And then he gets into the prodigal son that we, in verse number 11. And so here's how that starts. <clears throat> verse number 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And now re remember the setting. Okay, remember the setting. Jesus is saying there is a man and he has two sons. And he knows who he's talking to, and he knows what he's doing. Jesus did not, I don't think one word came out of his mouth that wasn't intentional. Right, so always perfectly in in tune. So he's saying, honestly, if, we, if you go off of like first words of a story, the most important character in that was whoever this man is. Because it's about the man who had two sons. Because it's information about the man, not information about the sons. So <clears throat> there's a man who has two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So context again, this becomes so important for us to recognize because he's telling the story, this would have been an uh, opening bombshell 
It was a big deal for someone because you have to realize what is happening here. If you were to go to your father and say, I want my inheritance, you are actually saying to your father, I wish you were dead. You're saying to him, because that's what happens. You don't get your inheritance until it gets passed on to you. Right? And so he's going to his father and speaking to him, saying, I just, I wish you weren't even alive. That's, that's crazy. Who would do that? So that, if you're watching a movie and that happens, you're already not liking this character. Right? This character is like, man, this, this guy's crazy. Can't believe that he would go and just wish his father dead. But, but then the response Right? So definitely these rule-following Pharisees would have been like, oh, what'd that father do? You know, they need to put him in his place. When you do wrong, you, you're going to get, like, they're going to get punished for that. But, but then they learn that the father responds with, okay, it's yours. And he divides it. He divides it. So the older son would have gotten a double portion. So the younger son would have gotten a one-third portion of all the inheritance. Father would have had to sold land to make that happen. Right? So, so recognize that then Shortly after that, <clears throat> verse number 13, not many days later, he gathered his stuff up, everything that was been sold off, and he, the younger son, <clears throat> excuse me, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Um, let's go ahead and finish this out. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and began to, he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens in the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse number 17, an incredible, if you mark your Bible, this phrase right here is, is such a powerful moment. It says, then he just came to himself. He realized in that moment, this is, this is when, when God arrests people's heart. Now, this is the moment where he's just kind of like, what am I doing? <laughs> what, why am I here? Why am I finding like, why do I find myself wallowing with pigs, w- wanting, I'm so hungry that I'm desiring to eat the slop that the pigs are eating. That's hungry. Right? Like he's in a very bottom, right, end of the rope kind of a place. <clears throat> so he does what most people would do. He starts thinking of how he can get out of this, and he's like, my, my father, my father, I think, maybe if I just go to him. Like, I know I can't be his son now because I basically killed him off. Right, so I know I don't get to do that. So let me go to him. And it's like, look, I'll work for you. I'll work it off. That's what he's thinking. So how many of you remember, like, if you ever got in trouble and you start making up your story before you get home? Like, all right, this is how it went down. All right, this is how it happened, and this is how I'm going to tell it. It's going to be good. I'm going to make it sound as good as possible to make sure I come out looking all right. So he does, and he heads, and then the father, what does the father do when he's headed home? What we, what we learn, what must have been going on, is the father had been watching for him all the time. Because while he was still a long way off, the father ran to him, which would have been not something that would have happened because the man would have had to bare his legs, and, and that shouldn't have happened in that day. And, but he did. He pulled up his robes, and he took off, and he hugs his son, and he kisses his son, and his son goes into his story. He's like, Father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against the uh, heavens. And the father doesn't even listen to it. He doesn't. He's like, man, bring, bring the robe. Put it on him. Put a, put a ring on his finger. 
put sandals on his feet. Let's get my boy cleaned up. We're about to throw a party. And they do. And then not long after that, they celebrate. They celebrate. So here's some lessons that I think that we can learn from this parable. Some things that I think we can take away is one, obviously this younger son, he misunderstood some things. He misunderstood that God's rules, the father's rules were something that he didn't want. He, he recognized that what God told him or what the, the father had told him, because if you're not picking up that the, the father in this is, is, is God. So if he didn't think that the, the life that the father was, had for him was what he needed to do. So he wanted to live, according to scripture, it says reckless, which would have been outside the boundaries, outside the boundary lines of what had been placed for him. So he was living recklessly. So think about a road. When you, you can drive wherever you want right? You can, but it's really wise to drive on the road. You get outside of it, it's not going to go as well. So I want you to think of, this is exactly what's happening in this. So the father's like, I have it laid out for you. Just follow the path, All right? My plans that I have for you, Jeremiah 29, 11, like, I have plans for you. I have a path for you. Follow that. Get in it, and it's going to be good, and it's going to be great. You get outside of it, and guess what's going to happen? You're going to find yourself slopping it with the pigs, right? It's like, scripture's clear about when we, when we go our own ways, it leads to destruction. This is just an example of what that's, that's happening. So God's rules are his wisdom. Hear this. God's rules are his wisdom for a life that's set apart. It makes us look different when we follow in his boundaries. When we're in boundary lines that God calls for us in his word, it, it sets us apart, which is, it makes us holy. Right? That's what set apart is. It makes us holy when we listen to the things of God. There's a, right, if you have notes, Psalm 16, 6 is where uh, the psalmist understands. He says, your boundary lines fall for me in pleasant places. And for us to realize that God's boundary lines, now sometimes we don't believe that. Sometimes we don't agree with that. But you hear David even saying things uh, in Psalms that he's, he writes, and he's, and he's like, I, I delight in your law. I think about them day and night. Who thinks about laws day and night? Who does that? Like, there's a boundary. Those tell us what we can't do. But when you recognize that the Father's boundaries are what is good for us, and it's what makes life good, when we, when we think about what makes this life good, it is because of the wisdom. Right? We, instead of seeing them as rules, we see them as wisdom. Right? And, then, and then we begin to live the life that God has placed for us, and then we get to experience the goodness of the God that loves us so much, who would act as if he were even dead so that we could have <laughs> what he wants us to have. <clears throat> the second thing that I think that is very important for us to take away from this is he thought, the son thought that he was going to have to do a lot of work. But church, if, you, if you're identifying and you recognize that maybe you have a prodigal heart that's ran away and you're outside the boundary lines of what God wants you to do, know that what the son misunderstood, he thought that he had to be fixed to be found. But you don't. You don't have to be fixed. He thought he was going to have to do all of this work and, and make it all up, and the father, what did he do? It says even shortly after, shortly after, verse number 24, it says, my son who is dead and is alive again, he is lost and is found. And the next sentence, I mean, it's, it's the next sentence, and they begin to celebrate. I assure you, I assure you, if you were to take a step towards God today, you're going to find that only celebration happens. You don't have to get fixed first. He embraces 
his children. He embraces you. He loves every person on this planet. And so when we find ourselves outside the boundaries, he's looking for those people to have this aha moment, to come to their, their, themselves and say, I just need to take a step back to the Father. His, his ways are better than mine. Because they are. If you don't know that, we desperately here want you to know that. And you don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to work it and, and make sure everything's in line before you come to him. Just come. Give yourself back over to him. And then the second... I think that we're going to see that there's an older son that's also just as prodigal as the younger. All right, so after that happens, verse number 25, it says there's this older son, and he's in the field. <clears throat> and he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. What was going on? There's a party. His younger brother had come home. <clears throat> and he called one of the servants and he asked, what, 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 what does this mean? Like, what's going on at the house? And he said to him, oh, your brother's come home and your father's killed the fatted calf because you received him back safe and sound. So you'd imagine the, oh, the older brother would have been ecstatic, but he was mad. So think back right here, the people that's being, hearing this story. Here's the son that's come home, and he's done wrong, and now the father's had a moment to like, now you can lay it on him. Now you can tell him what to do. Now if there's going to be a party, it's going to be, son, you're going to sit over here, you're going to watch the party because you don't deserve to be inside of the party. And that's what they think should happen. But it doesn't, because <laughs> that son is in the middle. He is the reason for the party. And then this older brother, he, he gets so angry because of this process. He gets so upset, and he doesn't want to come in. He chooses not to come in, and so what happens? The father actually has to come out to him and entreats him. He tries to like, come back in to here with me. And he said, Son, this son kind of goes into a rant. Verse number 31 says, now he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. And that's actually very literal because everything that was left was his. Right? right? So all that is mine, everything that you see now is yours. Like you live in the source. It's always been yours. It is fitting then to celebrate and be glad in this, your brother who was dead and is alive, who was lost and is found. If you can recall, I know we're going to run out of time, so I'm going to, if y'all can listen fast, I'll talk fast. Um, verse number seven, there's the story of the, the lost sheep. And at the end of that, it says, just so, so, so Jesus left the 99 and went to the one. Remember that part? So the, 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 the hundred sheep. <clears throat> it says, just so I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. All right, so Jesus would leave the 99 and go to the one. That just sounds irresponsible at best. It's like, because well, like, we have no context as to, like, are the 99 okay? He just left them? All right, so it seems really, like, that's been hard. If I'm, I'm honest with you, like, I don't really understand what you're trying to say here. I think I have a greater understanding having studied this for the, for this weekend, but he leaves, and he goes to the one, and he says, I want to read this phrase again, <clears throat> right, that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. 99 righteous who need no repentance. Hear this. I, he is not saying that they're perfect. This is their own understanding that they believe that they need no repentance. 
this is where we find the older brother. He says two phrases in there in Jesus, when he's talking. He's, when he talks to his father after he comes out to him, two things. He says, look, and then he says, that son of yours. He disassociates himself from the family. Who had, who had just done that? His brother. He was the same. He disassociated. He wanted his father's things. He was just going about it through doing all the rules. He was working. He thought that he could earn God's love. He couldn't. The younger son, the younger son thought that he could escape the father's love. He couldn't. The, the, the older son thought that, that he could earn it. He can't earn God's love. It's just, who, it's just there. He thought that his goodness would get it. He didn't think that he needed repentance. And honestly, if we're identifying, I probably identify myself more over here with this group because there's so often that I just think that I'm good. In this room, we all probably think that we're good people and we're, there's no need for repentance because we're good. We're fine. We're not searching for those places that we need because we're not perfect. And yet, when's the last time that we tried to find that one more step that we needed to, to take to become more holy? When was the last time we needed to find that section of our heart and our mind that we needed to cleanse so that we could look more like Jesus? There's need for repentance. If we don't think that we're people who need to constantly be in a state of repentance and saying, God, cleanse me, help me to look more like you, help me to stay more in the boundary lines, then we are just as guilty as the older brother as not stepping in to the party. And we need to respond. We can't just, our goodness is not going to get us anywhere. He was thinking, my righteousness my own self-righteousness is enough. You des- I deserve for you to give me this. He didn't. He couldn't earn it. It was already his. You can't earn God's love. What you do and what you don't do doesn't cause God to love you more or less. It's just the same. It's just the same. And now there's this guy named Tim Keller who wrote a book called Prodigal God. And it's a pretty incredible take on this parable because he says and he thinks and I agree with him now is that if we're thinking that prodigal is the understanding of having and giving something on a lavish scale this father was giving forgiveness and love on a scale that these two groups of people did not understand there was a love from that father who they're like I can't believe that he keeps responding like this His son wishes him dead, and he gives it to him. He comes back home, and he throws him a party. And then this son over here, like, 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 does the same thing. But here, I want you to see it. I want you to see it. The father came out to the younger son, and he recognized himself as a sinner, and came, and he came out to the older son, and he, we don't really know. What did he do? What did he do? Like, Jesus just stops talking. <laughs> it's a cliffhanger. It's a parable. It really means probably it was, this story was intended to land in this group over here who just think that, hey, it's just a bunch of good people trying to do what they're supposed to do. And they didn't understand that, like John 3, 16, right? People know this, that God, what's that, what's that little word? So loved. He so loved. You ever had some, like, I think when like, you see parents filming their kids, that's, a, that's when a parent has a case of the so loves. <laughs> right? Like, could you so love them? You know, like, quick story and then we're done. And if, if there's going to be a song, if you need a prayer for that, you can, you can do that now. 
But I think that we're supposed to finish this, this story. I think that it's supposed to be to where, like, hey, here's a story. What are you going to do with it? There's this father, and my dad, um, it, make, it makes me think of him. I played football. Um, I know you can't tell anymore, but I did. Um, but uh, I played football, and my last two years, I went to a private school. I'd played public school my whole, you know, football career uh, in high school, if you can call it that, right? Um, still trying to keep it alive. <clears throat> but, um, and then I went to a private school, and it was, it was small. I played both ways. Started offense and defense, right? So, um, and I remember being able to hear over everything when something would happen, my dad's voice. Man, he was hollering stuff, hollering at me, hollering at the refs, hollering at whoever was doing right or wrong. Um, and so often I would look up and just try to get a gesture to him to be like, hey, dad, that mouth, just, just close it. Just keep it shut. I tried, and it didn't, it didn't always happen. And I, I remember there was this time that, like, dad just started getting all over the ref. And I'm like, okay, dad. My dad was a pastor at our church. <laughs> And, and be like, Dad, Dad, you, you, like, that ref is a deacon at the church. You can't, you can't do that. <laughs> like, just stop. And I, I determined in those instances that, like, the father that I was not going to be. I was like, I'm not going to do that. My kids are going to hate me for this. And then, and then I had two kids. And they're awesome, like two little humans that kind of look like you and your bride and and I, I remember that my son was time that he wanted to, we were going to try YMCA soccer. We lived in Kentucky. And his practice times were just when, like, only, like, babysitters and nannies could go. So, and I got to take him sometimes. So I'm there with a bunch of babysitters and nannies watching my, my little dude just run around. I mean, it was like amoebas. I mean, they're just like, there wasn't, there's just, the ball's moving. It's just a cluster of kids running around it. It was, you know, it's not really soccer, but it's fun to watch. But at practice one time, I saw my son finally one time. He didn't, he could have cared less. Could have cared less. But one time he kicks the ball, like maybe by accident. And I was like, oh, let's go, son. Let's go. And he starts running with it. So I'm running with him. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go. You got it, you got it. And, and then he, maybe because I yelled at him, he looked up and, and it rolled into the goal. And I, you know, throw my hat in the air like, goal. But it wasn't even a goalie. Like, it was practice. So, <laughs> but what can you do? Like, what, what can you do? Like, I had a case of the so loves, and I just, like, watched my, my kids, and I, just, I want so, so much good for them, and I want to celebrate them. Like, in that moment, and I think some of you can kind of feel that, that, that passion that you would feel for your kids. That's how our God feels for you. Like he, wants, he wants to celebrate you. He wants, he wants good for you, and he, and he lays these boundary lines for our good. He lays his wisdom upon us for our good, and this love is lavish. It is for us. So we can find ourselves in either camp. But really, probably, wherever we find ourselves, we need to respond. So our bottom line is, hey, know that there's a seat at the table for you. You just got to pull up the chair. There's a seat at that table for you. You just got to pull your chair up. And it's not that his love is going to ever stop and today would be a good day to see what it feels like to just pull up to the table and know what it's like to be not just a rule follower of the God but in relationship with him because sitting at the table with him is different 
and it's a different life. So if we will, we want to sing, and you guys have a chance. We'll respond. Uh, let's sing together. You guys can stand. Because I know we've got to be done. I like to talk. I'm a preacher. I'm sorry. I pray that you'll hear something from, from God and respond to him this morning.